Welcome to Brand Story, Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week, we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. Today on Brand Story, Inc., we welcome J.D. Powers CEO and President Dave Habiger. J.D. Power is a global leader in consumer data and analytics, and while many associate them with the, as the authority in the automotive industry, J.D. Power serves the financial services, insurance, telecom, healthcare, energy, utilities, hospitality, and travel marketplaces. Dave is a visionary in the tech sector and has led several IPOs and served as CEO of multiple public companies, including Textura, NDS Group, and Sonic Solutions. And prior to joining J.D. Power in 2018, Dave was a founder and partner of Silicon Media Partners, Named an Entrepreneur of the Year by EY, Dave graduated from St. Norbert College and earned his MBA at University of Chicago. It's my pleasure, ladies and gentlemen, to welcome Dave to the show. Dave, welcome. Jay, hello. Thank you for having me. Well, we're excited to have you. Um, And Dave, I've gotten to know a little bit before this podcast, and I think you'll see he's a very modest guy, um, but happy to talk about J.D. Power. Less happy to talk about himself, and so we won't put you on the spot too much. But as we talked about, this show's geared towards brands, media publishers, agencies, who are all aligned in the belief that the media company mentality is the way to engage target audiences. And over the past nearly year and a half of this podcast, we've continued to hear about data-driven insights driving effective content. And I feel J.D. Power is, in some regards, decades ahead of the game in this regard, I look forward to digging in on that perspective from you, but I want to start with some basics. Your position, as we just said, as the global leader in consumer insights, advisory services, data and analytics. Let's start with some brass tacks, Dave. Explain who J.D. Power is, what you do, and how your company makes money. Sure. Um, The simplest way, first off, it's a relatively uh, complex business. We do cover a lot of different markets and uh, businesses, but I think the the easily digestible version is there is a data business, which I'll speak to in a second, which is primarily auto related. And then the other half of the business is market research. And Mm -hmm. in our case, you know, that's really more uh, benchmarking. And so what that means is in simple terms, we, uh, you know, you mentioned insurance or healthcare. Uh, We would um, uh, take a group of, companies who all want to understand their customers. So in that particular business, our, our uh, goal is to be the voice mm-hmm. of the consumer. So actually, I, I spend a lot of time explaining to people it's the opposite of consumer reports. Mm-hmm. So there, the, some, someone like Consumer Reports takes 10 experts and they uh, provide those experts with 20 computers and they build up a, a regimen of tests and mm-hmm. assessments, and then those 10 experts come out and say, hey, Consumer Reports thinks this is the best computer for these reasons. Um, we are we in a, we're a 50-year-old company, and we've never once had an opinion. So when people say, oh, I heard J.D. Power thinks this, you know, I can right out of the gate say, no, J.D. Power doesn't mm-hmm. think anything. We don't, we don't have an opinion. We don't recommend anything. Um, all we are is the, the voice of the customer. So we're a conduit to the consumer. So in, that, in the case I was giving earlier on healthcare or insurance, let's say you took five insurance mm-hmm. providers and they want to understand something in the market. Mm-hmm. And they want to understand their customer, what they think about you know, apps on their phone versus in person, you know, whatever it is they want to understand. And um, they then 
hire us to produce the analytics. How do you measure that? How do we want to understand what the cust- your customers in the market thinks? And we then build a methodology. Uh, it probably would involve survey work. It might involve um, um, using other data assets to interpolate you know, some of those responses mm-hmm. or to provide data. And all those constituents agree, and they say, okay, great, we're going to pay you to go out and do this market research. Mm-hmm. Um, we then publish the winner. So this also drives them to produce better products internally. So mm-hmm. if, if that was a insurance company, um, they know that at the end of the day, there's five different uh, insurance companies who are all being all agree on what the you know the terms of engagement are and how to understand the problem, and someone's going to come out on top. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they have access to this deep data set. So they buy a subscription. We give them that very deep um, um, list of information, and then we publish the high level results. So we publish for the for the rest of the world. Here's the uh, here's the high level results of this particular um, study. And um, then third parties might come in and say, gee, I'd like to buy mm-hmm. that study also. It may not be an insurance provider. Maybe it's uh, someone else who um, is doing something with apps. Right? Right. They want to understand. They, they say, great, we want to subscribe to that study. And they buy the results. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, the goal there is you know, you know, we help people you know, make a decision and, and companies build a better product. And, and, and it's a way for them to understand their customers in a way they wouldn't normally understand. So that's, that's you know, call that bucket number one. And that, that consists of, you know, uh, power industry, um, uh, insurance, healthcare, mm-hmm. hotels, banking. And by the way, typically a lot of those would, uh, those benchmarks have been around for t- 20 years. So you can watch yourself go up or down mm-hmm. every year based on how well you're doing serving your customers and typically someone's bonuses you know bonuses in many cases are paid on what was your JD Power ranking or score that year mm-hmm. so uh, the executive team might have some of their bonus tied to that their performance uh, with their customers um, other bucket is primarily auto and it's it's a it's a data business where um, the, the problem we're solving there is you have all these little metal boxes driving around the world, right? <laughs> Cars, trucks, mm-hmm. and that's a trillion dollar, you know, asset, mm-hmm. right? Asset class. And, and the value of that asset class changes every day, uh, every minute, right? Cars mm-hmm. get wrecked, they depreciate. And there we're basically um, um, tracking uh, I'm going to say tracking. Uh, the, the 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 vehicle itself has a VIN, mm-hmm. and we have a VIN descriptor. We basically uh, can then tell you can provide us with a VIN, and we can tell you what is on that car. Mm-hmm. You know, down to the trim levels. You know, down to does it have a, uh, a certain type of suspension, and that that is relevant to all sorts of people. If you're a bank and you're buying somebody's, you know, portfolio of, of vehicles or mm-hmm. assets. And there's, let's say, you know, it's a, a, a half a billion dollar asset class that you're buying. What actually are you buying? What are all those cars worth? You're an objective evaluator in that regard, right? Uh, yeah. So we have to, you know, we, we, we then determine what is that car worth or what, you know, mm-hmm. again, it's worth what the market will pay, but right. 
in this case, not selling all those individually, mm-hmm. what's on the car and what are they worth? Mm-hmm. And um, the other piece of that puzzle is if your, um, let's say if cars go to auction, right? And you're, you're at the auction buying, you're a dealer and you're buying a car uh, or a truck and a truck goes across the line and it's for $10,000 on any given particular truck, the mirrors might have built-in computers or electronics or little indicators. Those mirrors are worth uh, $2,000. Mm-hmm. But another truck that looks just like the same mirror, the mirror is only worth $100. Hmm. So if you're a salvage yard or an auction house, how do you actually know, you know, you have to look into the vehicle and understand the components to understand the value as you're making a decision to bid on a, on a, um, a car within 10 second window because, you know, millions of cars are auctioned every month. Um, so understanding you know the thumbprint on what on is on that car is relatively complicated requires all sorts of data sets and working with the oems and working with mm-hmm. people that sell cars and retailers and dealers and pulling it all together cleaning it organizing it um and you know if you're a dealer and you want to trade in your porsche dealer and you're trading in your ford truck what's a ford truck worth um you know you plug in the vin uh we come back and tell you what that particular truck is worth uh, in a, in a NADA guide. And then we sell, you know, we sell that same valuation mm-hmm. service to a bunch of people. Um, on the other hand, if you're selling, you know, that Porsche, you know what the Porsche is worth cause you're the sales guy selling it. Mm-hmm. Um, you might not know what the, um, Porsche is worth though in three years. In fact, you won't know. So there we have to do a little bit more predictive analytics mm-hmm. and we have to, um, not tell you what, a car's worth today, what is it going to be worth in three years? You mm-hmm. need to know that if you're doing a lease or if mm-hmm. you're doing a, uh, um, any kind of financing, the value of that particular asset class in three years, five or six years determines um, what your lease looks like, et cetera. So that's kind of a, you know, there's, there's a lot yeah. more to it than that. There's uh, uh, coding for, you know, Toyota calls a sunroof a moonroof and Honda calls a sunroof a skylight. And mm-hmm. so we have a, a coding system, you know, kind of the Rosetta Stone of, mm-hmm. of language for these vehicles, for auto retailers and um, all sorts of people that are involved in, uh, in the selling of those vehicles. Well, it's interesting, or, uh, you know, buying them. I'll stay in the automotive industry since that's where your company's origins are and what we're talking about. Um, the, the amount of data is just is, is mind boggling, and we'll get to that in a second. But I think one of the things that I've found fascinating, uh, you know, I'm not a car guy, but I am a, a media guy. And from from the company's origins, you know, automotive industry when you founded in the late '60s till now, you've really built a band. To your point, you've built a really stellar brand based on objectivity and, and customer driven feedback. And and I read that your uh, JD Power's name has been featured in more than two hundred thousand different television commercials, none of which you pay for, I presume, which, I mean, talk about the ultimate stamp of approval in terms of brand, right? People hold, people advertising, paying good money to create commercials that cite your company's name as like a differentiator to the competition, right, in some regards. And so I, I'd love to just take a, a step back for how the company just has evolved and then, you know, Look at through the lens of you've been there three years, where you're taking this company. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think on that one, um, look, it's a 50 year old company, so I'm I'm just the current caretaker. Um, the um, the brand there isn't much time or attention. To, I mean, we have you know one marketing person, right? We don't we don't sell or market. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we we don't actually have a consumer facing business necessarily we, mm-hmm. we our, our customer is enterprise 
so the the brand is actually just a a, a result of of the work we do so it isn't um uh, and, and by the way, I think maybe there's opportunity. We've had plenty of people say, uh-huh. "Hey, you ought to license your brand or do things." Uh-huh. We just haven't. Uh, uh-huh. We haven't um, spent a lot of time there. That ultimately, the the advertising you see. I mean, someone's making a decision at a bank that they want their they their their customers value them, and as dictated by not you know a bunch of scientists at JD Power, but the actual customer. And they've decided to spend five seconds of their 30-second commercial touting the fact because they believe consumers will be more likely to buy their product because of the, the fact that they did an independent study in the market and, and mm-hmm. won. Um, and that you know, works for, you know, it turns out insurance and auto and cellular services and anything else you can imagine. So, um, it's interesting. We we we're not. We are not. We didn't. We never built a brand. We don't have brand meetings to figure out how to create a brand or make a brand. It's it's just been a byproduct of what we do. It was it was kind of more of a stumble. Of, you know, I love we that. Stumbled into it. It's just yeah. So I mean, we literally we don't have a. We don't we don't. You know, if, if you looked at our marketing budget, it's non-existent. Um, it just isn't. You know, we might market to try and um, do a trade show for enterprise, but right. there's never consumer facing. Right. And frankly, I'm not sure most consumers totally appreciate what we do. I mean, they're not sure if we're consumer reports or we're a government mm-hmm. entity or mm-hmm. th- but at the end of the day, uh, you know, multiple marketing agencies and multiple companies from multiple industries and multiple people have all come to the same conclusion, which is it's trusted. The consumer yes. trusts this company. And if we associate ourselves with them, we'll, you know, we'll sell more of our stuff. Yeah, there's right? a larger you know, lesson to be learned simple. right there, right? I mean, I think you said something along the lines that the brand is a result, right? As opposed to a goal and, and being focused on what you do and mm-hmm. and and have earned the trust and, and that objectivity and, and we'll get to some of the values of the company in a minute. But as you talk about the company through the lens of insight, advisory services, data analytics, I actually look through the lens of you guys as a content company too, as a piece of the overall equation, right? If you expand content, Definition as it should be to include, you know, things like surveying data, compilation of data, right? Uh, reviews, those types of um, things you alluded to. It, you're publishing quite a bit of content, right, in the B two B market, both um, and both privately and, and and publicly, quite candidly. And so I'm I'm curious of your perspective as the CEO of JD Power on on the content capabilities that 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 you have, or or how you even look at the word content through the, your lens. Yeah, we really, again, we really don't. I mean, that's what's, what's interesting is we don't uh, write articles on, you know, we don't mm-hmm. have a, an opinion or write an article on which car to buy or um, when, when someone wins an award for quality, they didn't win an award because we went out and measured gaps and, you know, mm-hmm. started to, you know, tell, tell, you know, bang on the fenders. Um, they won an award because the market, the customer, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, responded and they they had the best quality that year on that particular vehicle um, or initial you know um, customer satisfaction whatever we're measuring so uh, we actually don't produce really any content I mean the content is, is there might be content out there but it's in the form of, of survey or data that is used by these companies to build better product mm-hmm. uh, or provide a better service or um, uh, you know, uh, get, have better customer satisfaction, 
if you're on the market research side. But that content isn't actually curated or anything else. It's it's really from a pure data. You know, we have software programmers and, and data analytics folks. They are not uh, art or content or creator folks. They are they are literally cleaning data, prepping data, organizing it, and putting it in a, in a formula, formula and methodology that um, is agreed upon by the constituents who want to understand their customer. So we're, we're literally sitting in between the customer and the manufacturer or the service provider, helping them understand what the market thinks and what their customers really think. And that was pretty revolutionary. Um, you know, certainly 30 years ago, even 20, you know, 10 or so years ago, you know, companies started to say, well, wait a second, we really need to understand our, and the, the whole idea of, of, of uh, machine learning and data analytics became a little bit, and big data became more topical. And, you know, there we still, uh, then we're working with an internal team. So, you know, we may be working with a, a large auto manufacturer that has 3,000 uh, data analytics folks focused on something, but they can't go out and independently um, uh, extract data from someone else's customer. They can they can read it and use it. So how do we how do we how do we take the data, mm -hmm. the survey results, the market research, clean it, present it. Not only their customers, they get to see what um, their competitors see. So when we do a study for the auto industry, um, they may want to maybe take take something that you wouldn't read about. Just a, they want to understand in air conditioning. You know how important is something around air conditioning in different parts of the world. And so you, you, you'd have five companies that would all say, great, we'll do what's called a club study. And they all agree to provide some data, to provide what kind of air conditioning systems they're using, average temperature flow, et cetera, et cetera. We then can survey customers, use all that data. That's something we wouldn't publish, but they're, they're effectively agreeing to look at each other's um, uh, they're, they're all paying for it mm -hmm. and they're all contributing and they have a third party independent company they can trust. So they know that we're not going to, you know, uh, somehow they can trust us with their data. The, the entire business model is about trust. The second that someone doesn't trust you, you're not in the data business for long. And so uh, they then are, you know, what, what is the implications for failure rates in India versus, uh, South Korea versus North America? and why and what happened here and how come that manufacturer's compressor failed at a 50 times the rate of someone else's. And in that case, they actually have to work together and we're the general contractor in the middle um, telling them how to organize it, how we're gonna assess it. And now they understand the marketplace and their customers better. And they also understand their competitors' customers better. And that ultimately you know, serves the market and they build a better product and they figure out why they should do something differently. All right, so I'm getting a little tactical here, but if you go to your website, right, and I just pick, you go to jdpower.com and you can pick car previews, right? And you you, you, data, you select anything on here and there's, it's funny, we're, we're maybe debating content, but it's like there is, there are endless pictures and articles and, you know, and granted, it's not editorial, it's not commentary, it's facts, right? Here are the exterior features of the, you know, upcoming 2024 GMC Hummer, right? Like there's a ton of, I, I consider that content. So if you look at like just your website, there's, uh, well, I strategically, I understand you being between um, 
the B2B customer that you have and, and the cust- between the customer and, and the clients that you have, there's still a ton of actual content in its raw sense um, being yeah, it, published yeah, from and the, produced. From the, yeah, from a, from a um, it, content, that, you know, imagery, um, yep. and we do a lot of that too. So again, not to a consumer, but to the enterprise. So Correct. we have um, all sorts of uh, imagery and, and, and breakdowns of vehicle, et cetera, that, that the OEM would use, uh, the car manufacturers in that case. On the website, we'd also, um, um, as, we, as people will go to the website and kind of look for, hey, how did someone do in a particular... Um, uh, like right now, I'm looking, at, I'm looking at... We would, we would aggregate third parties. So we'd pull mm-hmm. in uh, plenty of other content that relates to that and at least help yeah. the, the consumer who's gone to a website to say, all right, how, what was the customer satisfaction of this vehicle? And then from there, it might bridge to other sites or yeah. to uh, other uh, pieces of content. Yeah, it's it's a ton, it's a ton though, right? Like I'm looking at top rated 2020 family SUVs in quality according to customers, and it goes through the rankings like you know 10, 9, and you you click on each one and it has a deeper dive, and you know yes, you can go off site to then look at the the relevant um, you know cars that you're referencing and things like that. But there, there's quite a bit. Yeah, no, we do it. We do a good job. I I don't don't. Uh, <laughs> I'm curious how you staff. We have a sharp that. team that that. Uh, I totally agree. There is, uh, um, what, yeah, there is plenty, of, plenty of data to, and, and information that you. I'd recommend anyone who's buying a car go to that site. Yeah. Um, what kind of staff do you have to actually? Just I'm just gonna something as simple as your website, which is very complex and very deep. I mean, how are you structured um, in terms of like from a, from a top level organizationally? How how do you structure the company? How is it structured? Uh, from a top level, we structure it under um, data and analytics, mm-hmm. which is primarily auto-based. And then the other part we call GBI, which mm-hmm. is, is Global Business Insights. And that's more of what we were talking about in, the ter- in terms of um, market research, mm-hmm. et cetera. So the data analytics part of it, you know, there isn't a website for that a consumer would see. That's, mm-hmm. that's primarily, think of us as a Bloomberg terminal of yep. data for yep anything auto related. So if you're, if you're, um, uh, you're going to start a, a, a new auction site or a new, mm-hmm. you're, you're a digital retailer and you're selling cars online. Um, you need a lot of information regarding, you know, what is on the car? What are the values of the car? In that case, you know, you're transacting with us and we're giving you a license to a, a, a certain set of data, depending on what you're doing. So, there and it's probably is most of our. I mean, the main part of our business, frankly, is B two B and enterprise around mm-hmm. that data business. That's that's a much um, much larger uh, part of the organization, but um, you know, equally important. They they complement each other. But it, but from a top level, that's that's how they're broke, broken down. There's business heads that run those particular businesses, and then as the you move into the organization at a deeper level, there's a matrix where you know, operations and HR and legal and finance um, all uh, overlap in, you know, between those business units. It's interesting. Um, I, I think if there's one commonality, I've shared this with you before the, the podcast, that that is number, the, the primary value of anybody that comes on this podcast is first party data, right? Content is almost a conduit in, in 
I don't want to say commoditized, but it, there's an element of commoditization of content where it's a conduit to create a relationship, you know, with an individual. And it's the data, right, who that person is and the collective who those people are that that creates, you know, the primary value in, 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 in media companies and content companies, right? It's a, it, it's not really valued if you don't have an audience. And so I'm curious. Um, yeah. I, I was actually to clarify, too, is a little bit is, is almost easier than that because I would think of you know what you when you describe first party yeah. data you know you're dealing with the more you deal with personal information or PII mm -hmm. um, it business becomes much more difficult in our case it's always been um, we're actually dealing with a data set that we're actually selling this the data set back to the person who maybe even originated it right mm -hmm. so a, a General Motors or a Ford or pick a company mm -hmm. that um, ultimately wants to understand something about their vehicle or the marketplace, um, uh, but actually nothing about the individual. So we, in our case, it's a little bit it's easier because we're, we, we don't have, we have zero to do. I don't mm -hmm. really don't care who you are or mm -hmm. where you live or what, you know, any of that. Right. Mm -hmm. So we don't even know who, you know, the, the thing we're following and understanding is these little metal boxes driving around the world that are highly complicated and collectively make up a very, very large amount of money. If you look at the data business, I mean, that's um, that's ultimately and that makes it, frankly, a lot easier for us than it does other people, you know, a Facebook or someone else who's trying to sell ads yep. to somebody yep. or they're, they're trying to uh, aggregate or uh, disconnect the person from the zip code. We don't have to do any of that. I mean, I literally don't. I never want it is. I mean, it, it makes it much easier to be, uh, you know, from a regulatory standpoint yeah, and exactly. a risk standpoint. And that's kind of the third rail. I mean, every now and then we'll, we, we buy a you know, fair amount of businesses um, in the data space. And the second we find that we're dealing with uh, personal information or a person, uh, you know, it's, it's just isn't worth it. You know, it's, it's, it's a much more complicated business. And, you know, I'll leave that to the Googles and Facebooks mm -hmm. and, you know, other folks of the world who, who um, have scaled and maybe manage that risk. Well, I want to jump ahead and, and respect time. We've got a couple of minutes left here, but I think one thing, you know, uh, th that really jumped out to me was, and maybe it's because I'm a CEO and started my own business, but the leadership room and your company values that are that are there for everyone to see on, on your website. And you list truth finders, change makers, and team driven. And, you know, candidly, I think team driven is one that most companies share. But I love the language around truth finders and change makers. You know, share some insights into the company culture. Um, and, and you've already talked about kind of that truth and objectivity being core to your brand. Um, and I'm, I'm curious about how you see the company as, as truth finders and change makers. Yeah, the truth finders part is. Um... Again, I think it's ingrained in the culture way before I got here, so I'm, I'm lucky enough to inherit that. And um, we've—it's it's the core of the business, right? So mm -hmm. you, you can't have Ford thinking you're sharing GM data with Porsche, with you know Volvo or someone else, mm -hmm. and you can't have Bank of America worried that you're gave J.P. Morgan some information somehow in a in a study. Or so it's just it's 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 just ingrained in the company. And then ironically, that's ultimately what we're doing for our customers. I mean, we, we, the, the, the same exact language is what we describe to a, um, um, an insurance company who says, gee, we're the best and our customers love us. And our job is to help them understand, you know, here's, here's where you can do better. And are you, are you open and honest enough to understand what people really think? And, 
um, here's an independent view of it, and here's how we'd go out and measure it and, and better understand it. So, and some companies, frankly, don't want to know, <laughs> but <laughs> most do. Um, and the, the um, uh, but I mean, that, that is ingrained in the culture. And change makers, I mean, look, I think the, the, that one's harder um, because, you know, when you're a company that's been around for 50 years, it, it's you're there's less entrepreneurial mm-hmm. spirit than there was probably when it started mm-hmm. and so that's 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 one that we're always working on to try and explain to people look you need to evolve and take risks and you're not going to get fired if you mm-hmm. try something new as long as you stay within the parameters of you know you know ethics and trying to serve our customers you know let's take some chances you know we're not building heart pumps and we're not mm-hmm. building jet <laughs> engines no no one no one's going to die if mm-hmm. uh, you know it turns out a a new mm-hmm. idea that we came up with didn't work. Right. Um, and so that one's a little harder. It's, it's, it's ingrained, but sometimes the grains are, uh, start to get squeezed and you have to kind of, I, that's part of my job. And given my backgrounds, a lot of, uh, entrepreneurial stuff, um, that, that I'm pretty comfortable trying to, you know, inject and keep alive. But, um, yeah, that's, that, that was, uh, that's, that's one we're always working on. That one's, uh, that, that's tough as you get bigger and, and it's hard to act like a hundred person company when you're, you know, 3000 person company. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, you know, my final question for you, we have a thing called morning musts, right? You're a CEO of a household name brand and uh, you're involved in a slew of boards and, and collectively in so many markets, I can't even list them all right. Just with JD power. Um, it, it's hard from the outside almost to get your, your, my head around um, all the data in each of the markets you're in. It, it's, it's a complex business, as you said. So I'm curious, as a CEO, take us through the content that you consume to stay on top of, you know, your A game and, and help you as in your role as CEO. Uh, what we call it morning must. What are the things that like you must read in the morning um, or during the day to kind of stay on top of things? Um, that's a good question. I um, mostly try and consume uh, every kind of media I can. So I, I don't uh, have the luxury of kind of going, all right, I got an hour this morning mm-hmm. where I can consume all sorts of things. Um, whether I'm at JD Power, I think for at least certainly the last 20 years, um, I try to number one things I disagree with. So um, TV channels I disagree with, commentaries I disagree with, and go, huh. okay, can can they change my opinion? And and I work really hard to change my opinion on stuff, and sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. Um, I typically would you know record. I always have you know if I'm watching a show of three different news stations that all have, you know, completely different, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, take the, you know, your, your, your top three stations that all yep. have a different, you know, uh, political view and angle and agenda. And they, they, you know, whether they all agree or not, I, I would say they do, but listen to those and, but pick a topic, you know, right. how do all of them address the same thing? And you go, Oh, I think uh, that makes sense. And you watch the next one, you go, well, that makes sense too. And but I, that's the way to get to the, to the reality. Um, mm-hmm. And I do the same thing with the web. I'll do, you know, the Wall Street Journal, NPR, I'll do BBC. Um, I'll try and read a newspaper from India and China. And, and but I don't read them. I, I go, I look at them and I go, the thing I'm interested in right now is this new tax policy. Mm-hmm. How did it get reported by the BBC? How was it reported in India, China, mm-hmm. and the U.S.? That's really cool. And you can do that nowadays pretty quickly. So I do that through a Google search and, a lot of that is just done as I'm going through the, you know, an airport or back in the good old days of mm-hmm. travel pre-COVID um, or on, you know, an airplane or in the car. And, and so it also serves 
I think understand bite size. I can kind of go all right for the next ten minutes. I'm going to digest this thing. Um, anyway, so that's that's a neat uh, approach. That, there isn't that. one. I, I try and go as broad as I can, mm-hmm. and as and and the more I have a strong opinion on something, the more I try to go. I'm going to go take the other side of it and see if they can convince me. And you know, sometimes they'll move the needle. Sometimes they don't. Good for you, because I feel like most people, self included, get sucked into finding affirmation and try to you know <laughs> go in your own echo chamber and. I, I, I want to be right. Prove me right. I really love your approach um, in terms of kind of taking the contrarian. So yeah, that, better yet, I want to be wrong. I mean, I, I, I go, I'm wrong. See if I can convince that's somebody awesome. that I'm, I'm wrong. I'd actually, if you can change, I mean, that is the, there's one thing I've seen that the, the, the harder you, you know, want to dig your heels in and just go, I'm going to take the argument. Really try same thing with an interview. I can't remember who told me this, but someone when you interview somebody in the first two minutes, you kind of suss them up, mm-hmm. and you you stop and you go, okay, I think I've, I've I've made my first impression of this person. Stop for a second, figure out what that impression is, and then spend the rest of the interview trying to convince yourself that that first impression was wrong. Mm. And that actually is a really I don't know who where I heard that or who told me that, but I, when I interview, I always think that's a really good way to do it. You go, okay, they've, you know, they're whatever your your assessment is pretty much figured out in two minutes and then you just go all right we're going to spend the next 40 minutes i'm going to everything i'm going to ask and do is going to prove that first thesis wrong and a lot of times you find out that you know you you've gotten to the heart of the matter and you were wrong um, or you were right but you gained an insight as to why you're right well i'm getting a little meta here but my first impression was you're a really smart guy and 30 minutes later i'm leaving saying you're a really smart guy and i did, did, didn't do much to to disprove that and, and candidly my, wasn't trying my to. My college grades don't, don't reflect that, but uh, thanks anyway. <laughs> well, Dave Habiger uh, from J.D. Power, CEO and President, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jay. Appreciate the time. Thanks for listening to Brand Story, Inc. We'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn.